and uh, it's been a pleasure to be with you and your church and your pastor and, uh, and his family. And um, <clears throat> everybody enjoying the conference so far? Yes. Amen. You're getting something from this, hopefully some, uh, some good nuts and bolts, some practical stuff. And uh, your pastor's right. There's every church in America, every church around the world needs what you're hearing uh, in these last couple of days. Uh, we all need, every church needs to have what I call worker bees. Uh, we need to have worker bees that are busy about the work of the Lord. This is the work of the Lord. This is the nuts and bolts. This is the rubber meeting the road. Uh, this is how it gets done. Uh, and so I hope and pray that this is a blessing to you. It's been a blessing to be here. And I do have two fellows in our church, two fellows that just about every service, at some point or another, they're, they're taking naps. They're in, they're in la-la land. And uh, I will say this, um, that's, that's a little discouraging to the preacher, uh, you know, just, just a tad bit. And I know they don't do it on purpose. They don't mean to. And so uh, try, to, try to help me. I'll try to help you by making it as interesting as possible. Uh, try to help not discourage me by, uh, I know it's after lunch, you got your belly full, uh, but uh, we'll get into the Word of God and see what the Lord has for us at this point. If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter number 18. Exodus chapter number 18. We're going to read a, a lengthy passage here in this particular chapter. <clears throat> How the Sunday school assists the pastor. How the Sunday school assists the pastor. And everyone that is a Sunday school teacher... Uh, everyone that is a shepherd, as we spoke of last night, is an assistant pastor, whether you realize it or not. Uh, without having the title, uh, without having uh, everything that goes along with that particular title, if you're a teacher, if you're a, a bus worker, if you have a group of people that are considered your sheep or your flock, uh, you are an assistant pastor. You assist uh, the pastor here at your church. And I want you to take that seriously. I want you to consider, uh, I have a fellow in our church who, uh, he's one of our deacons and he teaches our auditorium class. Uh, he's the one that teaches the class that meets in the auditorium. I said to him just the other day, I said to him, I said, I said, Stu, I consider you an assistant pastor. I said, you don't have the title, you don't have the position, you don't have all that goes along with that, but you are assisting me uh, as I'm trying to reach more people in this area. And, and I, I wholeheartedly Believe that. I really do. I'm sincere and genuine when I say that. Uh, you are an assistant to the pastor. And make sure you understand the great responsibility that you have. Uh, and how we're going to do that, we're going to see here in Exodus chapter 18. Look at verse 13, if you will. Exodus 18, verse number 13. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said... What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto even? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. Uh, when they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I do uh, unto them, uh, I, I do make them rather know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee. For this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice. I will give thee counsel and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward that thou mayest bring the causes uh, to, uh, unto God 
and thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, uh, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens, and let them judge the people at all seasons, and it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. Uh, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, they will help you, Moses. Look at verse, 20, uh, verse 23. If thou shalt do this thing, uh, and God command thee, so then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall also go to their place in peace. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons, the hard causes they brought unto Moses, but every small matter they judged themselves. And we see here that Moses uh, is trying to do everything by himself. Moses has a big heart, a great heart for the people. He's trying to bless the people, help the people, communicate God's word to the people, but he's doing it all by himself. Uh, He's working from sunup to sundown and past that. Uh, He's working, uh, I mean, from morning till night. He is burning the candle at both ends. And his father-in-law sees this and he says, this isn't good for you, Moses. Uh, You're you're not going to survive. You're not going to last if you keep doing it this way. And listen, no pastor will last uh, if he tries to do everything himself. It's impossible. Uh, No one person can do all that needs to be done to minister to the people that God sends to the church. Uh, His father-in-law says, you need to choose men. You need to choose some people that are responsible, that are God-fearing, that know uh, God's heart. They know his word. Choose those people and let them delegate to them responsibility over people. Delegate to them. Help them. Let them help you uh, carry the burden. If you keep doing this all by yourself, Moses, you're going to wear out. Uh, you're going to burn out, and you're not going to last. I know of a pastor in our area of a church about 30, maybe 35, 40 minutes away from us, and I've only met him one time, so I don't know this personally, but I've been told. Uh, I've been told that he's kind of a control freak. Uh, kind of a person that just has to do everything, has to be over everything, has to be involved in every single little thing. Um, I, I've been told, again, I don't, I don't know this firsthand, but I've been told that come this June, the, this man is stepping down from the pastorate. Uh, and he's not, it's not because of age, it's not because he's, he's older and he, he's retiring, it's just he's, he's, he can't handle it, it's too much for him. Now, if that is true, which I'm not 100% sure that it is, but if that is true, I would say it's because he struggles to delegate. He struggles to allow other people to help him with the burden. If you're, if you're like me, I'm, I'm, I'm a perfectionist type of a person. Uh, everything, uh, a place for everything, everything in its place. Uh, is anyone else like me? Anyone else? Raise your hand. Are you willing to admit that you're a perfectionist? Okay, that's how I am. Uh, a place for everything, everything in its place. A time, uh, I'm for, you know, uh, your pastor mentioned, uh, if you're early, you're on time. That's... Uh, my motto is, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. And if you're late, it's unacceptable. 
that's what I try to live by. I have people in, in, that were in our classes when we were taught, that, teaching. rather, uh, They still live by that motto to this day. I had one girl, uh, Nicole Gutridge. She says she went to House Anderson College. She was late to zero classes all four years because of that motto. I said, yes, amen. <laughs> but see, I'm a perfectionist. And people that are perfectionists, we have a tendency to want to have control of everything. Uh, and, and I learned very early on uh, in, in serving the Lord and being in, in ministry, if I have to be in control of every single little thing, I'm going to wear out. I'm going to burn out. Uh, I'm not going to last. I won't make it for the long haul if I have to do every single little thing. So uh, I, myself, as a, as a leader... I have to find other people that are also leadership material and say, hey, listen, I want this area right here. Uh, yes, I have my input. And yes, I have the, the veto power, but I want you to handle this area. I want you to be the one. This is your area. This is your baby, as we talked about last night. Uh, this needs to be you uh, and your area that you handle within the boundaries that I give you and that God tells me. And, and that's what we need to do. But I need to delegate. If I don't delegate, I am going to wear myself out. And I won't last. Now, um, your pastor is the representative of God, just like Moses was a representative of God to the nation of Israel. And those those delegates, those ministers that he was to choose, they were an extension of himself, the representative of God. So those of you that are teachers, those of you that are are shepherds, as we talked about, uh, you are a representative of your pastor. Uh, he's the representative of God. You're an extension of him. Uh, you represent him. You represent the church. Uh, you represent what God is doing at White Oak Baptist Church. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ also used this form of leadership. Uh, listen, we must delegate. We must delegate. If we don't delegate, we will wear out. And I'll repeat that time and time again throughout the course of this session. If we don't delegate, we will wear out. But those of us that have responsibilities delegated to us, We need to take them with that awesome responsibility that it is. We need to view it that way and say, hey, this is my area. I'm going to make sure I run with this thing. The Lord Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, the Bible says this. And he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him and he ordained 12. He ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ could have done all the preaching. But he realized, no, I can't, I should not do all the preaching. I should have other folks, other men, other responsible ministers to help in this area. Uh, In verse 15, and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. Uh, Even the Lord Jesus delegated responsibility, delegated areas of ministry to other men. And so we need to to understand that your pastor is, is trying to implement this biblical principle of delegation And you are the ministers, the rulers of hundreds and rulers of fifties and rulers of tens and hopefully at some point rulers of thousands. But nonetheless, we must take it seriously. We must take it seriously. Now, you're representing an extension of the pastor. The pastor is representing God. I've been told, I don't know how how accurate this is. We talked last night that a shepherd uh, can generally successfully uh, handle a flock of about a hundred. If he's good, he can have about a hundred sheep. I've read, I've heard that a good pastor uh, can handle and can, can really pastor and shepherd a, a flock of about 50 people effectively. Now, some, of course, can do more. Uh, maybe some can do less. Whatever the case may be, every man has a limit. 
There's only so much that one person can do. There's only so much that one, so many people that one man can reach. There's only so many people that one man can minister to. He must eventually get help at some point, whether that breaking point is 50, whether that breaking point is 100, whether that breaking point is 200. For, for everyone, I'm sure it may be a little bit different, but everyone has a breaking point. Everyone has a limit. So what happens when that group exceeds or goes beyond that breaking point? Uh, what happens when, uh, let's say, Pastor Lejeune, he can effectively lead a hundred people. Uh, he can effectively minister to, send cards to, uh, follow up with, uh, attend their, their children's sports events and uh, visit them in the hospital and, and do all these things, prepare messages and, and answer questions and, and talk on the phone with. And let's just say that he and his ability, he can do that for a hundred people effectively, okay, just for illustration purposes. What happens when the church starts running 110? And the church starts running 120 or the church starts running 150 or two. Listen, at some point, those members or those attenders, their needs won't be met. You know where this is going. And what happens? They spin off. Well, they feel like, well, you know, people don't care for me there. Uh, You know, I I had this need and no one was there for me. I I had this problem and no one helped me. Uh, I needed to move and and no one showed up to help me move. (laughs) How many times have I helped people move throughout uh, the course of my ministry years? Uh, I have helped hundreds and probably thousands of people move. Uh, I hate moving. Amen. Uh, I don't like moving. I can't stand moving. Uh, but I do a lot of helping people move. That's part of ministering to people. Now, uh, if we get to 110, if we get to 150 uh, in our uh, uh, imaginary story here, uh, those people will not be ministered to. He needs someone else to come behind him representing him. Rep- God bless you. Representing him. <laughs> I love it when people sneeze when I'm preaching. It's awesome. Uh, it reminds me of Karen Roskelly. Remember I told you about uh, Terry Roskelly, Superman, last night? Well, his wife, you just reminded me, man. I'm sorry. Uh, his wife had the loudest, I mean the loudest sneeze. You had. It was like a bomb went off. I mean, I could not speak over it. I could not preach over it. I could shout and scream, and it, she'd still uh, overpower me with her sneeze. It's hilarious, and she still does it to this day. It's incredible. Anyway, that's what that reminded me of. Uh, Miss Andrea... <laughs> Uh, we have one in our church that does the same thing. Needless to say, um, I'm easily sidetracked, as you can see. Uh, so th- it gets bigger. He needs help. He needs someone to come behind him, representing him, representing the church, uh, an extension of him and the Lord and blessing and helping and being there. So how can you, as a teacher, assist the pastor? Number one, write this down, if you will. <laughs> Salesmanship. Salesmanship. Now, before you, before you start thinking I'm crazy, okay, I don't mean uh, you're, you're a salesman and, and you're savvy in the way you talk and, and you trick people, and, and that's not what we're talking about here, okay? Uh, you ever walk into a, a car dealership, whether it's a new car or a used car, whatever, you walk in there, uh, usually the sales people, they're all over you. Hey, how you doing? It's good to see you. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, they're trying to get you to purchase through them so they can get... Commission, right? Uh, generally, when I go to a dealership, and I, I can't stand going to dealerships because of that reason. I'll have two or three. I'm like, hey, just let me look, please. Just back away. <laughs> you're inundating me. You're, you're cramping me. It's too much. Uh, salesmanship with the regards that when a new person walks in that door, when a brand new visitor, someone that they, that no one in, in this, in this uh, general congregation recognizes, teachers, Boom, you're over there. You, you're, you see them in the pew. You, you walk up to them. But what people do in churches, 
I'm sure it happens here. It happens in our church in, in Parishville. It happened in our church in Baltimore. It happened in the church we were in in Orlando. This is just common. This is just what people do. They find their spot. They walk in the door. They sit in their spot. And then the service starts and they do all whatever, they, you know, stand up, sit down, pray, whatever. But they, this general area, that's all they know. They won't move. They won't budge. Oh, yeah, you might have a fellowship song and some people do some, you know, going around and shaking hands. But for the most part, they stay in their general vicinity of their pew. And that's about it. What White Oak Baptist Church needs, rather, uh, what First Baptist Church in Parishville needs, what, what every church needs is for the people to be mingling. The, the teachers to be walking around. I, you know, I, I would look for new faces. The pastor should not be the only one looking for new faces. Are you all with me? Uh, you know, one of the things that agitates a pastor to no end is, is, a, is a leader or a so-called leader coming to him at 10 of 11. Is that when you start your morning service? 1030? 1045. Okay, amen. You just had to be Difficult, didn't you? Anyway, uh, 1045. Okay, so uh, at 1030 or 1040, coming up, the pastor, I got this problem. And, and so-and-so over here and this over there. Uh, I had one guy come to me and say, uh, hey, uh, th- th- what we have is we have a-, a balcony that we use as classroom space. And uh, you have to go through those classrooms to get to our bell tower. And we actually have a bell in our steeple that they ring every Sunday. It's kind of cool. Needless to say, uh, our teen class meets up there, and uh, one of the fellows, the one that was used to ringing the bell, he was cutting through their class to go ring the bell. Well, so the teen Sunday school class teacher was upset, and, you know, he came to me. He said, Pastor, now this is right before the service. Pastor, we got to do something. You know, they're cutting through our class, and, and this is happening. And, blah, 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 and, I, and I looked at him, and I said, uh, yeah, we're going to do something. We're not going to do something right now. I said, there's new people in this room that i got to go shake hands it's five minutes before 11, which is when we start our morning service. I'm, I, could, I don't care about the bell, man. I care about the people. Are you all with me? Listen, the bell's important, but it ain't that important. You, you have to understand, the stuff that we have, it's not important. We use the stuff as a means to an end. The end is blessing people, helping people, encouraging people. I tell our church all the time, listen, we're not using our stuff, or we're not using people to bless our stuff. We're using our stuff to bless the people. That's a good spot for an amen right there. Are, are y'all with me? So we need to get out of this mentality of, uh, this is my stuff and, and my area and my this and my that. And, and, and I'm all for taking ownership. We'll talk about that in a minute. I'm all for taking ownership, but ownership of blessing people. Using rooms, stuff. Pews, chairs, uh, pulpits, uh, music stands, whatever, uh, AC, heat, using these things to bless people. Unfortunately, most church members, they have it the other way around. Hey, I need to make sure that my pew's comfortable. And I need to make sure that I have my spot in the pew. Y- y'all have your favorite spots in the pews? Okay, I do too. I understand what that's like. But no one should ever feel like, well, I can't sit there because last time I sat there, so-and-so got upset with me. Are you with me? Have you ever had that happen in church? I have. I think, wow, goodness gracious. I mean, there's, you know, however many pews in here. You could sit anywhere. Why are you getting upset if I happen to be in the spot? I didn't know. A a visitor doesn't know who sits where. A visitor doesn't know uh, who has reserved spots. They don't realize. Hey, let them sit wherever they can. Let's, Let's make sure we're blessing the people and not using the people to bless us or our stuff 
Uh, that's very, very important. Uh, but when there's people that walk in the door, I remember Keith Menchie, Keith and Mary Ellen Menchie. Uh, Keith said to me, uh, this was years ago, he's uh, since gone on to be with the Lord, but uh, he came to the church, he and his wife, years ago for the first time. And I was doing what I always do, looking for new faces to say hello to. And I had no idea. I walked up to Keith. I said, hey, how you doing? My name is Pedro Morales. What's your name? Oh, I'm Keith Machias. Nice to meet you. It's good to have you. It's your first time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Just mingling with them. You know, just being friendly. Little did I know that Keith and Mary Ellen Menchie were going to end up attending my Sunday school class. Why? You know why? You know why he came to my class? Not because I was the greatest teacher. Not because, you know, I was just, I had a fine-tuned work going. No, no, no. He says because you were the first and the only person that walked up to me and said hello in the auditorium. Are you get, let that sink in. Let that sink in. If you want to build a class, and listen, numbers is not the goal. Blessing people is the goal, as Pastor Montoro mentioned uh, very eloquently. But at the end of the day, if we're going to bless people, we have to go out of our way to make them feel welcome. Walk up to them. Say hello to them. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm introverted. And I, I, listen, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to break that. You're gonna have to go out of your comfort zone and say, hey, how are you? My name is, what's your name? Are y'all with me? I know it sounds super simple, but not too many people do it. Not too many people do it. And if you're a leader, if you're a shepherd, if you're a teacher, you best be doing that. Uh, don't walk in and sit in your pew and say, okay, I'll wait till, you know, the service is over. No, no, no. I'll wait till the fellowship song, the shake. No, no, no. Be walking around. You ever see a pastor before the service? They're doing laps, man. They're walking around saying hi to everybody. They're like a politician, man, going around kissing babies and, you know. <laughs> That's what people said to me. They said, man, you look like a politician going around kissing babies. I said, if I had babies to kiss, I'd kiss them. If that means that it will make them feel comfortable, then I'll do it. Are y'all with me? That's what we're to do. We're, to, we're here for them. They're not here for us. To me, this is so basic and so simple, but so many people don't do it. They don't practice it. We need to make sure that we practice it. Now, um, be perceptive to visitors. Be perceptive to, to returning uh, members. Be perceptive. Be perceptive. Look for people to say hi to. By the way, don't forget the, the regulars either. Hey, say hi to them too. Uh, don't, don't be the, the one that's that, like the salesman in the dealer. Hey, all I care about is the sale, the sale, the sale, the sale. No, no, no. Don't have that as your goal. Have your goal to be, I just want to be a blessing to people. I just want to be a blessing to people. All right. So, uh, letter A under point number one. Uh, I have the word reservation. And by that, I mean, we need to have no reservations. Don't be reserved. No reservation. Don't be reserved in your approach of people. Okay. Look at, turn to uh, Acts chapter number nine, if you will. Acts chapter 9, and we're going to see, you all know Saul of Tarsus, you know the, the Bible character Saul of Tarsus. Uh, you know that he was a, a persecutor of Christians. Uh, you know that he uh, was, was uh, uh, hailing men and women, and, and he was, you know, uh, throwing them in prison, and, and he approved of the stoning of Stephen. And I mean, he was just a great persecutor of the church. Well, you know, on his, on his road, uh, on the way to Damascus, the Lord saved him. He saw the Lord. The Lord spoke to him. Uh, he, he, he trusted Christ as a savior. Uh, he goes to Damascus as the Lord told him. Uh, and he says, go to the house of one Ananias. He'll tell you what to do. And uh, they go there. And, and, and the Lord spoke to Ananias. And, hey, I want you to go speak to Saul. And, and Ananias was like, whoa, Lord, are you sure? This guy's a persecutor. I mean, he's injurious. He's the one that's hailing men and women. He's breathing out threatenings. Uh, are you sure you want me to talk to that guy? And he says, yes. 
go talk to that guy because he's a chosen vessel unto me. That's what the, the, the Lord told Ananias. Ananias went and spoke to, to Saul. Saul eventually stayed in Damascus for about three years. Uh, and then eventually the Jews, as he was preaching Christ, the Jews rose up against him. Uh, they lowered him down in that, uh, from the, the, the window in the, in the building in a basket. They said, hey, get out of here, man. You're, you're going to die. Get out of here. Uh, he went to Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem, the hub, the home church, so to speak. The place where the apostles were. He went to Jerusalem. Uh, here's Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor, uh, hailing men and women, uh, breathing out threatenings. But he's been saved now for three years. For three years he's been saved. Preaching in Damascus. Uh, preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. That he is the Christ. Uh, and look at Acts chapter 9. Look at verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem... He essayed to join himself to the disciples. Man, he was trying. Uh, he was deliberately trying to uh, join the church and spend time with, with the people in the church. And he essayed to join himself to the disciples, repeatedly trying to join them. But they were all afraid of him. They were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. They didn't believe it. They said, no, no, no. Oh, wait a second, buddy. You're Saul of Tarsus. I know who you are. Uh, you're that guy that was breathing out threatenings. You're that guy that was hailing men and women. You're that guy that was locking up Christians. You're the one. No, no, no. You're not truly a Christian. I don't believe it. You know, there's going to be some people that walk in the back door that you're going to think, wow, that person don't belong. <laughs> are you all with me? That person's different. I tell our church, I said, if, if we don't have people that are in our midst that look different, talk different, dress different, then we're doing something wrong. If we all look the same, talk the same, dress the same, act the same, listen, we're no longer a church. We're a ball team. That's called uniformity. That's not unity. That's not what the Lord wants in his church. Uh, he doesn't want all the men to part their hair exactly like the pastor. The little bit of hair that he has. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I just had, I'm sorry. I had to, uh, who am I to speak, right? I got nothing, amen? <laughs> uh, so, so listen, if everyone dresses exactly like the pastor and acts just like the pastor and every lady looks just like the pastor, and every, listen, that's, there's, there's nothing wrong with following a godly example. I'm not, I'm not saying anything against that. What I'm saying is that there should be, this is the spiritual hospital. There should be spiritually sick people in the spiritual hospital. Are you with me? And it, it, we have people in our church where it's like, well, you know, pharisaically looking down their noses. Oh, I can't believe you know, that person. Oh. Let me tell you something. They have a past. And guess what? You have a past, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. They got skeletons in, in their closet that, no, you know, that, but probably more obvious because of the way they look. But you have skeletons in your closet, too. Stop. Get off your high horse. Get down off that high horse. Stop looking down your nose at people and receive them. Uh, we'll talk about that next. But don't have reservations about, well, he looks different. She acts different. And she, oh, I, I can't believe. Listen, if they're not here, they're going to go somewhere else when they need spiritual guidance. If you don't welcome them here. Y'all with me? They will go somewhere else. Uh, if this is a spiritual hospital, there needs to be spiritually sick people in the hospital. Let it be. Uh, we need to not have reservations. And then letter B, we need to be receptive, have reception, uh, receiving people, accepting people, welcoming people, reception. Look at verse 27 of Acts chapter 9. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in 
and going out. Barnabas stood up for Saul. He said, whoa, wait a second, fellas. You think all you know is the old Saul. All you know is the B.C. Saul, the before Christ Saul. This guy's different. This guy's been saved. This guy's been preaching. This guy's been serving. This guy's been doing the work of the Lord. You don't understand. He's not the same man that he used to be. You need to accept him. Barnabas, whose name means son of consolation, Barnabas, who was known as an encourager, and he had the gift of encouragement, the gift of helps, he said, hey, wait a second, don't judge him. Don't judge him. Receive him. Hey, don't exclude him. Include him. Hey, don't push him away. Welcome him. This is the kind of spirit that we as leaders, those ministers, that's the kind of spirit we should have. Are y'all with me this morning? We need to have the spirit of, hey, let's include, let's include, let's welcome, uh, let's go out of our way to make people feel like this is a place they want to be. The pastor should not be the only one doing that. Uh, the teachers should be doing that. The assistant pastors should be doing that. Uh, the wives of the assistant pastors should be doing that. The wives of the teachers should be doing that. Any person that has any spiritual maturity whatsoever should be doing that. It's our job. It's our responsibility. Be sensitive to that. Hey, look for new faces. Uh, be sensitive to make connections with people. Connect with them. Talk to them. Welcome them. Uh, introduce yourself to them. Introduce them to other people. Man, make them feel at home. Oh, yeah, that's a lot of churches that have that slogan, a place you can call home, a place you can call home, a place you can... Listen, let's stop calling it a place you can call home, and let's make it a place that is home. I'm not against that slogan. <laughs> Rosedale Baptist Church uses that slogan. I'm for the slogan, uh, but it's, it, it needs to not just be a slogan. It needs to not just be words. It needs to be a spirit. Make them feel at home. Fellowship with them in the auditorium. Look for new pa- uh, faces. Say hello to them. Make them feel welcome. Uh, by the way, uh, if you see someone walking in and they have children or maybe even a baby, hey, help them get to the nursery. Don't just say, well, the nursery's down that way. God bless you. Are you with me? Hey, say, hey, how you doing? My name is Pedro. What's your name? Oh, it's good to have you. Hey, do you need to find the nursery? Hey, come on. Let me, let me walk you down there. That's what, come on down there. What's right here? Uh, and you walk them to the nursery. Hey, you got some kids here. Hey, how old is he? Oh, oh, he's uh, six. Oh, hey, hey, our, our, our first grade class. It's over here. Let me show you where that is. Let me. Do you think that the pastor has time to do that for every visitor? No. Now, he could probably do that for one family. But if there's four or five families that are visiting, he can't do that. He needs, guess who he needs? He needs you. He needs you that are leaders to say, hey, I see a new family. Let me help them find their way. Let me help them find the classes for their kids. Let me help them find the nursery. Let me help them find the auditorium. Let me help them feel welcome. It's more than just the preacher. It's more than just his wife. It's more than just the assistants. It's more than just their wives. It's everyone collectively doing their part. By the way, when you're doing that, you can also invite them to your class. You with me? I did that many times. Many times. Oh, how you doing? It's good to meet you. Hey, oh, you got a baby. Hey, let me walk you down here. Let's show you where the nursery is. Hey, oh, by the way, you, you're looking for a Sunday school? Oh, come on. Let me show you. My class is over here. Come on. Hey, are you with me? Now, if they fit, great. If they don't fit, there's other classes. But I get the first shot at them because I help them. Are, are y'all with me this, this afternoon, morning, night, whatever time it is? 
Uh, are you with me? Everybody still okay? Everybody still awake? Okay, amen. Praise the Lord. All right, so we see uh, salesmanship. Number two, how else can you help the pastor? Companionship. Companionship. Not just salesmanship. Hey, don't be reserved. Hey, receive people, uh, but also companionship. Uh, Proverbs 18.24, a man that hath friends must, must show himself friendly. Be friendly. Be outgoing. Hey, uh, one of the requirements for a pastor, he must be given to hospitality. You're an extension of the pastor. Guess what? You also need to be given to hospitality. What does that mean? Once in a while, invite someone to your home. Have a meal with them. Invite them. Host them. Play games with them at your home. I tell you what, I had a, a person that was upset with me and I kind of had to, you know, I had to, you know, talk to them a little bit stern and, and I wanted to reassure them of my love for them. I wanted to make sure they understood, hey, I may have had to correct you, but I still love you. We invited them over our house. Hey, come on over. We made them a meal. We played some board games. After that, man, we hugged. Everything was as if no correction ever took place. Why? Because they saw my heart. Hey, listen, I'm not just here to correct you. I'm not just here to straighten you out. I'm not just here to, you know, be your teacher and and give you, impart spiritual knowledge and that's it. No, I'm here to be your friend. I'm here to be your confidant. I'm here to be someone that, that you can go to when you're in a pickle, when you got a problem. I'm there for you. They need to feel that. They need to know that there needs to be some companionship. There needs to be some companionship. There's more to teaching than just teaching. Have you figured that out yet? There's more to teaching than just teaching. There's more to teaching than just uh, in the classroom. Uh, there's more to teaching than just the lesson. Listen, the friendships, the relationships, they need to go deeper than that. Uh, visiting with them, calling them, emailing them, sending, sending them letters and postcards and text messages and, 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 and maybe even uh, PMing them, if that's the right way to say it, on, on Facebook. PMing, is that right? Personal message, is that what it is? Help me out here. Somebody say yes. Okay, thank you. Amen. Even if it's wrong. Anyway, uh, <laughs> listen, develop a friendship and a relationship with them. Uh, if we're going to have healthy relationships, we got to spend time with people. We have to. It's just impossible to build a group of people without spending time with them. It's impossible. You can't do it. And so you must have salesmanship. Hey, be looking out for the new person. You must have companionship. Number three, you must take ownership. Ownership. Take ownership. Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to... Now this is the Apostle Paul writing... uh, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Lord writing through Paul. Uh, now, to him that is of power to establish you according to, listen to what Paul says, according to my gospel. Hmm, wait a second. What do you mean my gospel? He says, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. My gospel, my gospel. What are you talking about? Is he talking about a different gospel? Is he referring to the First Corinthians 15 gospel, the death, the burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he talking about that gospel? Is he talking about uh, his own personal gospel? What's he talking about? What's he talking about? Uh, he's not talking about a different gospel. He's talking about the one and only true gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that touched his life personally. He says it's the gospel, but man, it's my gospel too. Are you with me? Hey, listen, this is, this is the church, but this is... My church. Are you with me? Uh, this is the pastor, but he's my pastor. 
I will tell you, there's nothing more encouraging to a pastor than the people referring to him as my pastor. Not just the pastor. Not, well, yeah, he's the one. Yeah, he's, he's the guy that we voted in. Yeah, he's the guy. Yeah, we, we hired him. And by the way, you didn't hire him. The Lord called him here. Uh, I want to make that clear. Um, needless to say, I, I love it when I hear someone call me and refer to me as their... It's a big difference. Big difference. Big difference. Uh, I was talking to uh, Jim. I get it right? Amen. Uh, and Jim, he's been here since 83, is it? Uh, been here a long time. Been through several pastors. Is that right, Jim? Through several pastors. And, and I tell you what, he encouraged my heart. He says, man, I, I, I decided a long time ago that... This is my church. I'm going to serve my God through this church. And, and whoever happens to be the pastor, I'll follow them. And if he's gone and someone else, I'll follow him. I said, man, tell your pastor that. He needs to hear that. Uh, the other church members need to know that. Listen, the pastor, Lord willing, uh, he's here for 20, 30, 40 years. Lord willing. And while he's here, make sure you support him. Make sure you back him. Make sure he's your pastor. Because I guarantee you he views himself that way. I guarantee you when he's on his knees praying for you, he says, hey, man, this is my plot. These are my people. This is my church, even though it's the Lord's church, but it's the church he's given me to pastor, to shepherd. It's a personal thing. It's, a, it's not just the gospel. It's my gospel. Listen, he's not just the Lord. He's my Lord. He's my Lord. Uh, when, when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and, and realized that the Lord was gone and she was there uh, crying and, and, and the angels came and they said, hey, why are you weeping? She says, they've taken my Lord. My Lord. What did they do with him? He's mine. He's not only her Lord, but he was her Lord. Uh, when, when, when the Lord showed himself to doubting Thomas... And he says, I won't believe. I won't believe until I, I, I see the, the print of the nails. I see the, I see the, I want evidence. I want evidence. And when the Lord appeared, he said, hey, Thomas, come on over here. Put your finger in, in the hole in, in my hand. Hey, 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 Thomas, hey, hey, over here, touch my side. What did Thomas say? He says, my Lord and my God. Was he only his Lord and God? No, no. But he absolutely was personally his Lord and his God. How about you? Hey, we're all saved. We all know the Lord. He is the Lord, but he's your Lord. This is the church, but it's your church. That is the class, but it's your class. Take ownership. Make it yours. It's your baby. Treat it that way. Hey, those are the pupils, the the students, the attenders, but they're your people. They're your sheep. They're your flock. Hey, feel it that way. Make it that way. It's, it's personal to you. It's not just the gospel, Paul said. He says it's, it's my gospel. Hey, has the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ touched you that way? Hey, it's my gospel. It's the gospel that, that saved me. It's the gospel that touched me. It's the gospel that changed my life. It's my gospel because it has touched me in a way that nothing else ever could or ever had. It's personal. Take ownership. Take ownership. We see also uh, that we need to have salesmanship, companionship, and ownership. Hey, make this thing real. Uh, an article in Today in the Word from February 1st, 1997, uh, told about a time when Dwight L. Moody, he was in London during one of his famous evangelistic campaigns, and several British clergymen, several 
men of the, the cloth, so to speak. And uh, they visited with him and they wanted to know how and why this poorly educated American was so effective in winning throngs of people to the Lord. How is this guy doing it? He doesn't have an education. Uh, he's a big dummy. You know, how's he doing it? How's he doing it? How's he doing it? Uh, Dwight L. Moody took the three men to the window of his hotel room and he asked each in turn, one by one, hey, what do you see? What do you see? Look outside the window. Look at the people. Look at the, what do you see? What do you see? Uh, one by one, the men described the people in the park below, and uh, most of the descriptions were of people strolling in the park or just enjoying another day. And then Moody, Dwight L. Moody, looked at these three men uh, as he was looking out the window with tears rolling down his cheeks. He says, men, what I see, what I see is countless of thousands of souls that will one day spend eternity somewhere. He said, I don't just see people strolling in the park. I don't just see people driving down the street. I don't just see people, man. I see never dying souls that need a savior. Listen, we need to understand, we step outside the, the doors of White Oak Baptist Church. There's a field that's white on the harvest all around you. I mean, I wish that there were this many people in Parisville. I promise you, I'd be trying to reach them. And there's not this many people in Parisville, amen? Uh, there's more cows than our people. Anyway, uh, that was a joke. You'll laugh later. Anyway, uh, listen, we need to understand there's people that have a never-dying soul all around us. Say, Lord, I don't know how many you'll have me win, but I'm going to do the best to win this one. I'll try to win that one. And, Lord, help me to lead that one to you. Lord, help me to witness to that one. Lord, help me. This person, that person, this person. All around us, people that have a never-dying soul that will spend eternity somewhere, either in heaven or in hell. What are we doing to help them get to heaven and be with the Lord? What are we doing? You see, our attitude needs to be, if it's, up to, if it's going to be, it's up to me. Take ownership. By the way, when you're leading a class, whether it's children or adults or sing, whatever, listen. You need to make sure you're sensitive about, are they saved? Are they saved? Do they know the Lord as their, as their Savior? Secondly, if they're, not, if they're not saved, make sure you witness to them and try to encourage them to trust Christ. And okay, if they're saved, are they baptized? Listen, it's more than just the lesson. It's obeying the will of God. It's God's will for all men to be saved. Amen? <laughs> A little louder. Okay, here we go. It's God's will for all men to be saved. Amen? All right. It's God's will for all saved people to be baptized. Amen. Okay. These are obvious. So when a person is not following one of those two, we need to lead them. Okay. It's God's will for for all that are saved and baptized to be a member of a church. Uh, Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, 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 and uh, uh, teaching them. Here we go. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Uh, and Lord, I'm with you always. Now, teaching them to be baptized, to, to trust Christ, get baptized. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 says, And they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day, the same day that were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So, to me, what the Bible seems to imply, okay, and I won't argue with you, but it sure seems to imply to me that a person gets saved, they get baptized, and they become a member of the church. Saved, baptized, member of the church. God commanded us to go out there and preach salvation and baptism. So what God is telling us, implication, is we need to be preaching salvation, baptism, which leads to church membership. And I'm sure White Oak Baptist Church has people that attend but won't join. Every church has them. Every church has them. We have them. 
We had them in Baltimore. We had them in Orlando. Every church has them. What are we to do as teachers? We're to lead them. Hey, let's, let's lead them. Now, that, again, as a shepherd, we're not driving. We're not pushing. Uh, we're not, you know, demanding. But we're leading gently. Gently leading. Hey, we, we should be joining the church. You're saved. You're baptized. Why aren't you a member? Why haven't you made it official? Why are you holding back? Uh, it's God's will for all to be saved. It's God's will for all to be baptized. It's God's will for those that are saved and baptized to be a member. It's God's will for all of us to tithe. <laughs> Y'all with me? Now we're hitting home, amen? Uh, it's God's will for all of us. And if we're, I, I remember there was a time, when am I supposed to be done? About five minutes, two minutes, five minutes ago? One fifteen. thank you. Um, there was a time where I was scared to death to preach on money. I would not do it. I couldn't, no, no, I don't want to be like the televangelist and, and I'll constantly ask them for money. I don't want them to feel that way. Uh, when they come in, I don't want them to feel like I'm after their pocketbooks. My pastor, in his wisdom, Pastor Scott Tool, in his wisdom, he said, Pedro, he said, listen, I understand your sentiments. I understand your feelings. I, he said, but if you don't preach on giving, you're doing your people a disservice. He says, it doesn't matter how well you're doing in that area. If it's a biblical truth, it needs to be communicated. Y'all with me? That's another thing I struggled with as a teacher. I said, well, I can't teach on this. I'm not doing well in this area. And he says, that's exactly why you need to teach on it. So you can do well and they can do well in that area or, or better. It's a biblical truth. Whether I'm living it or not, I need to teach it. I need to preach it. I need to impart it. Same thing with giving. It's God's will. Let's lead them. The, uh, one of the uh, mode of operation, one of the things that I, I do at our church is I say I take people, I receive and accept people where they are, uh, whether where, whatever they are on the ladder of spirituality. I accept them where they are and I gently and lovingly lead them closer to the Lord. That's what we're to do. Gently, lovingly leading them. Hey, c- come on. Come on. Hey, yeah, you should be baptized. Oh, you're not. Hey, you should be saved. Hey, you should be baptized. Uh, hey, you should be you should, you should be a member. Hey, are you tithing? You should be tithing. Listen, that's our job. That's our job. We're a representative of God, an extension of the pastor. We're to teach them God's will and God's uh, revealed will is right here. Save, uh, be saved, be, be baptized, be a member, give a witness. These are all obvious. We should be leading people to do these things. We should be leading people to read the Bible. We should be leading people to have prayer time. We should be leading people to have uh, a spirituality in all that they do. That is our job. By the way, the other way that we show uh, a companionship and ownership is by what I mentioned earlier, helping people with their needs. If they need to move, hey, gather a team from the class or from the church to help them move. Uh, if they, need, they have uh, questions about the Bible, hey, help them as best you can. Uh, make sure you lean on the pastor, but help them as best you can. Uh, if they need ride, a ride to church, help them out. Hey, get them here. Uh, if they, they have a, a, a situation with their kids, help them. Uh, if they're in the hospital, try to swing by if you can. Send them flowers if you can. Send them a card if you can. Do something to let them know you care and you're thinking of them. We see salesmanship. We see companionship. Uh, we see ownership, and then lastly, number four, we see leadership. Leadership. All of these ultimately end up at, hey, you're a leader. You are a leader leading people. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, 
the same, the same, the same things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. You know what you're to be doing as a teacher? You're to be trying to accomplish all of those things, leading people, helping people, uh, looking for new faces, uh, leading them to helping them out, leading them to do God's will, and then duplicate yourself. Duplicate yourself. Make another person that not exactly like you, but is trying to lead people the way you're trying to lead people. I think of uh, Jason Mishler. Jason Mishler was in my class uh, for many years. He's still there in that at Rosedale Baptist Church. I believe he still may even go to that particular class. Uh, but I remember he would go uh, uh, visiting with me. I would take him on visits. I remember, uh, you know, he would go and, and, and go to different events with me. Listen, he followed me like a little lost puppy dog, and that was okay because I wanted to instill in him what was instilled in me. Uh, there's a fellow by the name of Jacob Potter who uh, came to Rosedale Baptist Church, and uh, uh, he was actually our pastor's brother-in-law. And, you know, he had didn't necessarily initially have a desire for ministry, but, you know, he came to the church, and he came to our class. He did the same thing. Man, he was following me around. I was teaching him everything that I possibly could, just pouring into him everything that my pastor and other people had poured into me. And uh, right now, uh, he eventually took a class. Uh, he eventually uh, went on staff. He eventually became the uh, the administrative pastor at Rosedale. He's now pastoring a church himself in North Carolina. Duplicating yourself. Duplicate. Now, you don't have to literally tell people, hey, I'm going to try to duplicate myself in you. No. Just be an example. Be an example. Be faithful. Be consistent. Be serving. Do all that you can to reach people and teach other people to do the same. This whole thing about being a, a teacher... It's a blessing and a help to the pastor and to the church and to the kingdom of God if you handle it correctly. If you're not one of those teachers that's trying to build a kingdom for themselves, don't do that. Build God's kingdom, not your kingdom. If you build God's kingdom, trust me, he will build your kingdom. I guarantee you. He will build your class. He will build this church. Uh, You'll do something that you never thought possible, just like I look back at the family foundation class, and I think, wow, I never thought that was going to happen. But God did it. Because I just said, if that's what God says I should do, okay, I'm going to do it. If that's what the Bible teaches, all right, I'm going to try it. And put forth the effort, God will bless your efforts. Let's not be one of these teachers that walks in, sits in the pew, teaches a lesson, and that's it. There's more to it than that. There's way more to it than that. And you'll help your pastor, you'll bless your pastor if you're willing to receive what that is and say, hey, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the best unpaid assistant pastor that I can be. I'm going to be the best uh, unpaid prophetess (laughs) that I can be. Uh, Are you with me? And I say that jokingly, but listen, take it seriously. Take it seriously. It is a big deal, and it will be a huge blessing to him, to this church, and ultimately to the Lord. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you.